Hey everybody, it's Friday, so that means this is Gear 30, and I'm still Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, where we are proudly based out of Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. Today, we've got a fantastic episode for you. Shane McConkie's former college roommate is back on the show. Okay, let's just pause there. That's got to be up there with one of the coolest claims of all time, I think. Uh, But it's also true. Greg Klein, Shane McConkie's former college roommate, is back on Gear 30. And in addition to being roomies with Shane, Greg was part of the CU Boulder 1991 NCAA Championship Ski Team. Not too shabby either. And these days, Greg is president of Willie's Ski and Snowboard Shops, which is family-owned and operated with several locations in the greater Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania. And in other claims to fame, Greg might be responsible for the now global phenomenon of the shop pizza. You'll hear more about that in a minute. And then finally, I don't know, this might be the single most interesting Gear 30 episode title we've ever had, and that's because we are going to talk about all of the things in the title and a number of other really interesting topics. One of the things I really like about this conversation is it kind of picks up and touches on a couple of other recent conversations that we've had here on Gear 30, and I like the kind of point-counterpoint bigger conversation that we've got going in this episode today. So lots going on, lots of fun, and it's Greg Klein. So there's a lot of good information in this one too. Let's see, in other things you should know about, this coming Tuesday, over on our Blister Cinematic podcast, Cody Townsend and I are talking about the remarkable 2004 Matchstick production film, Yearbook. Actually, if you would like to see Greg's former roommate in a ski movie, well, then watch or rewatch Yearbook this weekend. And then go subscribe to our Blister Cinematic podcast feed so that you get that episode right when it drops. Cody and I have already recorded that conversation. It is a great conversation about a film that, at least in one category, has to be considered as the greatest of all time. So check out that conversation. It's a fun one, and you are going to dig it. The other thing, uh, Blister Plus. I know a number of you are considering it. We're really starting to see a number of you signing up for it. That makes me happy. Good job getting yourself covered. So you've heard me talk about it. Today, I'm just going to say, come on, it's time. Do the math, check it out, get yourself covered. And then go get nuts. I don't know. Maybe go ski with your eyes closed like Greg does. You know who needs Blister Plus? Come to think of it, Greg. Anyway, check out Blister Plus. Stop putting it off. That's the thing you can't really afford to do. Get yourself signed up. Go have a great time outside. That's how this works, folks. And now let's talk to Greg about a number of funny and very cool and some really informative topics with a dude that has been around the ski industry for approximately 800 years now. All right, everybody, Greg Klein, here we go. Well, Greg, great to be talking with you on this Sunday morning. Obviously, the first place we need to begin is Shop Pizza. (laughs) Tell, Tell the people about this. So uh, you and I, last time we were on, we had this conversation. You said, you know, to get in with the shop guys, I was mentioning the shop guys are the lifeblood of a ski shop. And you're like, yeah, we bring them beer. And I'm like, no, you can't do that anymore. Liability insurance and all that stuff. And I mentioned shop pizzas and I got a lot of comments um, from a lot of my peers, but I was literally testing skis in Austria on a glacier wearing the Willie's t-shirt or Willie's sweatshirt. And a guy that runs a store over there came over and goes, Willie's, Western Pennsylvania, shop pizza. And I was like, great. It's a worldwide event. And after that episode came out, the next weekend, a guy literally brought a roasted chicken into our store. 
Now it sounds like, oh, he, you know, he pulled in with a roasted chicken. At the ski area, there's no way that you can pull in. So he had to walk like 400 yards with, you know, you, you know, the, the roasted chickens you get in the supermarket yeah. with all that juice into the ski shop. My employees are like, oh my God, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> this is fantastic. So, so anyhow, so you were in Austria and got a call out about yeah. shop pizza. Yeah. From that podcast, he goes, Western Pennsylvania <laughs> shop pizza. And I was like, oh my God. It's very cool. The power. See, we might only have a hundred listeners, you know, on reviewing the news. <laughs> I told Cody this. People apparently don't like Cody because when it comes to Gear Thirty, we have normalized and globalized shop pizza as the way to thank your local ski shop folks. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things. The 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 shop guys enjoy the call out, and you know, if you can bring them a. a a pizza on a cranking day forever. You're a legend forever. So normalize any contribution your show has ever had. It's shop shop pizza. pizza. That will worldwide. That will be the legacy of gear 30 for sure. Normalizing shop pizza shop pizza. What's Hey, you know, we're, we're coming into a very, very busy holiday season. And so, you know, to our gear 30 listeners, you know, just a good, it's perfect timing for a reminder. Bring, Bring your favorite local shop. Bring those folks a pizza. They'll love you forever. Let's uh, let's just Absolutely. continue to spread the gifts of the of the shop pizza. I love this story so much. And it's one of those things that gives back because I guarantee your skis are going to run just a little bit faster, be tuned a little nicer. Everything's got to go much easier for you if you bring in a shop pizza for a guy. It's so good for a staff. It's so good. You'll be a legend on a wall. Guarantee it. <laughs> Yeah, we need to uh, we need to do this. It's I, I'm so happy to start with this. You had not actually told me. I don't think you've told me the 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 Austria call out. So that's that's fantastic. You know what? I texted you while I was over there. I probably didn't because I went to see uh, Black Sheep Sports. I went to see another one of your blister recommended sports. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You sent me a photo of you and Sebastian hanging out. But I don't think yeah, you, you yeah. I don't think you shared the, sh the the shop pizza call out. So that's that's excellent. <laughs> that that that's my bad. Um, by the way, uh, Sebastian, what a great store over there. Huh. I my hobby is going to see ski shops and and finding this store is very very cool. Nice and, nicely run store. Yeah, and by the way, that is also something that is so cool about like our recommended shop program that we've got. A shop owner in Western Pennsylvania linking up with like our favorite shop in Munich, Germany. This is great. Like we're bringing the world together in uh, in wonderful ways, and that that made me so happy to to see you guys hanging out. Yeah, fixing the world with shop pizzas and boot fitting. So. <laughs> it's so good. Well, hey, we have some topics to cover that I am really really excited about. I want to have you actually just start with your really impressive background on this that involves like the white house okay say more yeah so um my wife my wife and i i got invited i thought my friends were kind of spoofing me i got this email to come to the white house um with the white house business council so i sat on it uh two times with the white house business council on climate change and it was i think willie's ski shop best buys and uh and ups were on the retail let's pause on that greg best yeah. buy a monster yeah. huge retailer yeah ups which <laughs> i think we've all heard of and willie's yeah. that is extraordinary it was it was amazing i was the most popular guy at lunchtime because everybody in that room one guy sold like $1.8 billion worth of solar panels. And all he wanted to do was talk about his setup for the coming winter. Um, <laughs> so the power of skiing. Um, but yeah, we sat in round tables and we came up with ideas, that kind of stuff. I was there twice and my wife was there, uh, I think, once. Um, but honestly, we started with the recycling story and climate change in 1998, we were part of a uh, pilot program with SIA. Uh, it was called Deduct a Ski, and we would give you a tax credit for your old skis, and it was up to the stores. We would give you 10% off a new ski, 
Um, and then we would take the skis and recycle them, ship them somewhere to get done. And what we found was, you know, the shipping was costing too much energy, too much carbon. So we did other things with them. And we started in our stores to go after more energy savings, more green type things. So what we found from our perspective in the ski shop is getting more efficient inside, right? So uh, recycling skis. We have a customer that's doing all his restaurant in a in ski motif. So we collect all the skis, uh, ski swaps. We had 800 products this year that we've recycled to new customers that we sold in two hours. Internally, we've gone away from bags, recycled bags, to uh, partnering with Nordica and Rosnell and reusable bags. That's all you get from Willie's now. So we've done a lot of those green initiatives but with with skis and that kind of stuff we found recycling is not as great as reusing them you know getting them a second life a third life and so you know through our initiatives working with the white house that kind of stuff we found we were much better off getting our elbows dirty and working inside the store just like a lot of major manufacturers they are making better environmentally safer products but a tremendous amount of their green initiative is efficient manufacturing energy efficiency and that kind of stuff uh using better use of materials no excess no throwing away there is no away yep yeah and i mean we talked about this i talked about this with james fairbanks from atomic right and they have done mm-hmm. these calculations and and where are the emissions in the entire kind of process and lifespan of these products and and they yeah. identified at least it was the factory itself right like the power to run the factory and what i th- I, I mean we're in an interesting time right now and you know i had a few weeks ago Jeremy Jones and Xavier Nydek are on talking about what they're looking to do on the recycling part of this. And those guys were real clear. They were talking about, they kept talking about dead, dead snowboards, right? So they're not Mm -hmm. trying to have people, like if I walk in and I don't know if you know this, Greg, but I'm a snowboarder now. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, if I if I walked in with my lightly used, uh, let's say Jones flagship, because I'm like, oh, turns out I'm terrible at snowboarding, and this is too big of a board for me. So if I'm like getting rid of that, they're not chopping up a perfectly good snowboard. They are going to look to give those boards homes, right? To reuse those yeah. products, get them into a ski swap. Or something, but they, I just want to make sure we're clear on all of this because I think there's a lot of conversations mm-hmm. happening and a lot of com- companies talking about the things they're doing. And I think that it is right for us to be clear on, like, okay, that makes sense. And then maybe somewhere else, like, eh, is that really moving the needle? You know, is it greenwashing? Th- this is just, a, this is our future. This is what we're going to be facing, right? Yeah. So, so I, I got to work, I think, I forget who it was, maybe Tiger Shaw, maybe Jeff Mature at, at K2. And, you know, they design products that have to stay together in the worst conditions. A ski needs to stay together. That's its sole purpose. No D-lambs. So we're trying to recapture stuff from a, a monolithic item. It's glued together. Yeah. There, there's no wood that can be used in there it's all impregnated and so the 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 most difficult thing in the world is to take a ski apart efficiently because at a certain point you can grind it up and pull the parts apart but it's more energy um and we were doing this in the late 90s i'm excited to see all these companies coming and redressing the problems um because at some point somebody's going to be smarter than me and you know God knows the world's filled with people smarter than me. Um, but what we what we found is at that point was we had to ship stuff from here to, I think, the grinder that was specialty for grinding skis was in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. 
And what we found was back then, I think it was, you know, $60, $70 to put a ski in a tube, pack it up, send it there, and then grind it up. And then when it came out, it was just inert matter. And the only thing it could be used for was to fill um, parking lot bumpers, uh-huh. right? Because you've yeah. got organic, yeah. you've got epoxy, you've got metal, and you've got plastic. And it's a lot more energy to separate those. It can be done, but, you know, so the the macro recycling that the Jones snowboard and, and, and everybody's doing is top notch. And it's a new way of thinking of it. You know, it's it's impressive. But there's also a lot of us that have done other parts before yep. and came up dry. So, yep. you know, for us, we decided to refocus our energies on, um, I think we imported LED lights. We are the first ones to do anything like this. We imported them directly from the Orient in, I think, 2008, you know. Um, this year, we were going to put uh, electric charging stations for in all our parking lots. Well, unfortunately, we had a car fire and caught a building on fire. So that's taken a little bit of wind out of our sails. But we're always trying to do those things. Um, internally, our transfer bags, we've gone to reusable clear vinyl, that kind of stuff. Reduced shipping. That's, that's my next thing the next couple of years to work on. And, you know, I think ski shops in general, you know, no, the environment's more important to us than anything because that's what we base our livelihood on. You know, I can't tell you how many shops in the United States are going, please snow this week, yeah. please snow this yeah. week, you know, or the whole world. So what we find is the biggest impact that we can have is internally and that kind of stuff. And, you know, reprocessing skis, mm-hmm. getting them second lives before they get to their last life. As we continue to not only think about these things, but come up with like legitimate solutions along this entire chain, right? From how we mm-hmm. power a factory to make skis and snowboards to the entire life cycle of, you know, the production of that ski, the end of life of that ski, et cetera, et cetera. What do you worry about the most right now in terms of greenwashing? Right, that is the thing we have to avoid. What What do you worry about on that front? Well, you know, it's everybody comes up with these great ideas, you know, and we're going to do this at the factory, and we're going to move to this glue and that kind of stuff. And and let me just say, there's some things they have to do because of laws, like the PFASs that are going to change our world next year. Yep. And then there are things that they do for internally for efficiency. You know, it was much cheaper to put solar panels on than with the Ukraine uh, invasion than to worry about Russian oil. And that's more environment. My biggest problem is, is when they say product life cycles, most of these guys haven't talked to the retailers about it, you know, and there's nobody that's going to come out and say, hey, this is, is a bad idea. But there are a lot of us that have already done this dance and we need to be pulled into in, into the conversation because inevitably somebody, every ski shop here, here are the skis. I don't need them anymore. What do you do with them? Well, inevitably, if we can't recycle them, they wind up going into the dumpster or cut up or become a shot ski or something yep. silly, yeah. um, or furniture. Furniture is a big one. Um, but nobody likes, needs enough ski, ski Adirondack chairs, yep. if you will. Yeah. So my fear is is that it's not greenwashing, but it has to it has to go full cycle. We need to have the full circle, like you said. I think we are 80, 90% there, but retailers are the last mm. 10%. Mm. You know, and we need to be in that conversation, especially mm. when we get into efficiencies of shipping. That's that's a big thing. Say more on that. Say more on that. So when I get a, a ski shipment from from Austria, it's uh, uh, inside the ski boot box. The ski boot box, everybody's familiar with. Inside there, I've got two plastic bags. I've got another piece of cardboard. Well, that ski box comes inside another ski box, which comes shrink-wrapped on a pallet, right? Now, the problem 
you know, we fill up dumpsters, but we recycle every one of those boxes. You know, when we ship internet skis or internet boots, we recycle everything. So we have to have a conversation about, do we make the, the, the shipping worse or, or better that we can reuse it and how can we reuse it? So those are the things that I see in the future because that's a lot of energy and a lot of things. And, and at some point, we have to get better at it. You know, customers want new products. They don't want scratch products. But do we need to have a, a plastic bag around every boot? Is there another way that we could do that where it doesn't get scratched in the box? You know, and I know everybody's thinking of that, but retailers haven't been involved in that conversation. Hmm. Or at least <laughs> my phone hasn't rang. I'm sure some guys have. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> without, you know, we, we'll skip the false modesty. I mean, Willie's... Willie's moves a lot of product. You guys see a lot of people. So when you say your phone hasn't rang, it, it means something as opposed to if I, mean, I ran a food fitting operation well, but, and three people came, you know, once a year, it's called Ellsworth's boot yeah. fitting. I'm very proud it, of it. it uh, runs out of my house. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's in your kitchen. Uh, yeah, it's in my kitchen. You know, it, it's just one of those things. These are little areas that we can tighten up and become more efficient. Yeah. You know, like every internet ski we send out, we use an old box and we have a big uh, uh, stamp we put on it. You know, ugly boxes save trees because, you know, you, you get something from Amazon. Everybody has bought something from Amazon and it's a toothbrush and it's inside six boxes and extra packing. That's the next big thing that I think ski shops, you know, because, you know, our, our trash dumpsters get full, you know, we get all these boxes. What do you want me to do with yeah. it? You know, so we have yeah. recycling yeah. dumpsters, but yeah, efficiencies. Yeah. Efficiencies. Well, from recycling and product life cycles and the rest, I think we now should move on to settling up on some wagers. And actually, I think it's like a $10,000 wager, if I remember correctly. but. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's $10,000 now. Since these guys are going to lose the bet, I don't know if they split the 10,000 or they each owe me 10,000. Ah, so, if they each it's great. We should go back and check the tape on this. <laughs> um nothing brings me more joy. Well, first of all, knowing that uh Shop Pizzas has gone global, yeah. that probably brings me more joy than anything. Second is pitting different people in the industry kind of against each other and 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 trying to collect on like $10,000 bets. So I'm I'm real happy right now. Um I guess at our second blister summit, you were on a ski boot panel session with Tom Petrowski from K2 yep. and Christoph Lentz from Fisher. Yep. Take it from here. What happened and why do these gentlemen either owe you $10,000 each or $5,000 yeah. each? So, and you're going to be the judge. So uh, I'm going to go okay. 10,000 each. Um, <laughs> you brought up a conversation. If, if touring had not touring, but if well, the walk ski features, if you'd see that in more boots and that was your question, it wasn't if you would see more touring. And so we kind of went through right. our, our gestations and I went last and I said, well, the question was about uh, walk ski features, and my feeling was the walk ski features are going to come into the convenience side of the market, not as touring, not with tech in it, but as um, a reemergence of what we called used to call the mid boot that Lang had popularized and Rosnell had popularized, and uh, I believe Christoph tried to go back and change his answer, so I don't know if 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 that counts, uh, but. I've seen lines for next year already, and I know there are a lot of companies head, for example, that already have a big walk ski feature, and you're going to see a lot more of them. And it, it's unfair because the meat of the market, the, the, the convenience part of the boot market is so much bigger number-wise than, than the touring market. So just by making these boots, I, I believe I win. I think you do. What are yeah. you talking about? It's unfair. I think you. We need to go collect some dough for you, <laughs> Christoph. Um, those, is, that, that'll buy a lot. That'll buy a lot of shop pizzas. You know, absolutely. Christoph is somewhere in Austria, driving on you know, on the autobahn, listening to this, going, "Damn." <laughs> um, but but that is, I mean, yeah, 
to revisit that conversation. And and folks, in case you missed it, we're talking about boots with walk modes yeah. on them, right? And so that was our question. Will we be seeing more of those in this convenience element? It was not a question or prediction about are we going to see more backcountry ski touring or you know, a, a proliferation of available options in the backcountry ski touring boot market. It was this, will we see more walk modes on boots where people have no intention to get into the backcountry? They're going to flip into walk mode for Opre or when yeah. they're walking to the ski area in the first place. Uh, I've seen them getting down into the 80 flexes next year. Wow. So, so you're okay. going to see them all the way down super nuts uh, you know beginning all the way up through the mid-range and this i even saw one in a 130 in a low volume so you're going to see quite a few innovations tech wise coming into the market next year well and some are already out this year head for example yeah yeah hey related topic convenience the convenience market yeah. as you're calling it are we seeing more happening in the rear entry ski boot market is that becoming more of a thing i mean obviously nordica um has made some moves there mm -hmm. some other companies have are you seeing an uptick this is like we're asking you specifically as a ski boot shop owner are you seeing an uptick in that or like is it, the walk mode beating out the rear entry the product? walk mode is going to beat out the rear entry so the, the people that wanted the rear entry is a very specific market, and they came out and they were overjoyed with it. Um, I had a, a customer who had a 52-centimeter calf. I want you to think about that. A extra-large helmet's 52 centimeters. That was her calf, and that was the perfect product for her, and I could manipulate it and that kind of stuff. You're not going to see rear entry coming out with more models taking that over. I think, in fact, most companies are kind of sidestepping that and going to the mid-boot because that gives you a little bit of best of both worlds. Um, what I can tell you is every innovation I've ever seen in ski boots, and I've seen, I've come from the rear entries to the mid-entries, from adjustable forward lean, adjustable forward flex, uh, soft boots, exoskeleton boots, all these things, mm -hmm. it all tends to come back to conventional buckle boots, you know, um, and because it gives you the support and performance, you know, and it's a combination. It's a sliding scale that goes back between comfort and convenience and actual perfor performance and support. And my experience is everything always seems to come back to that, you know. So I think people are sidestepping the rear entry, making a competitive model to Nordica. Um, Atomic has some as well. Yep. And they're going for the mid-entry, which is really the goal. Get to the slopes wait, easier. Wait, I'm sorry. To, to define terms, what do you mean by mid-entry? Mid-entry. So... In your touring boot, you can disengage the back and it pivots back, yeah. right? So yeah. mid-entry opens the throat of the boot up. So every ski boot has a throat. To get past that throat point, get the foot into it, is the trick of the whole getting into yeah. a ski boot, right? That's difficult. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, if you slice off the back of the boot, it makes it very easy to get into. The clog, the lower boot, whatever you want to call it. The problem is when you slice off the back of that boot, you take away ski yeah. performance. Anytime you open it up, you take it away. Now, touring boots try to mechanically seal that and lock it in. Uh, Lang's, um, Lang's system, um, Technica's system, all have a way of snugging that securely. But nevertheless, it, there's a cut in there. It's a different material. And so you lose performance, right? If you take a, a performance boot, like you like a Raptor or a, a club sport, you take off the top of that cuff, there's a solid boot in there. So a mid boot opens that up with the throat and allows you to get in there. It's not necessarily going to be a performance boot. By the way, on the prediction, uh, prediction of the future trends, I had a conversation on Gear 30 recently with Garai Dadali, right? 
with okay. this tech adapter product. Durai is predicting that we will see more ski boots with no walk mode, but tech fittings. Now this, we just went from the like not performance end, high performance okay. end of the market. We're talking about mid entries. Now we are very much in the high performance end of the market, I think. But, you know, for a product like that tech adapter, for somebody like Garai, who's doing gnarly, gnarly things right. in the backcountry and wants to be, you know, landing 720s in an Alpine binding, not a tech binding. Do you, I, I, I question this, but do you think we will, I mean, right now I can name like the, the doll bellow Krypton, right? Right. Um, where there is a no walk mode, but we do have tech inserts at the toe. Yeah. Do you think we're going to see more products like that? Not, not at the retail level because, you know, the tech inserts add a tremendous amount of cost and you're talking about a 1% product. And, and for those people yeah. that are jumping off the cliff and, and, you know, God forbid you do that in that tech binding, I, I in fact, I, that's a rarefied product and the tech inserts yeah. are really expensive to add to a boot. So I don't think you're going to be seeing that in a a giant push just because mm -hmm. the high-end product is already getting a little it's getting up there price-wise what i do mm -hmm. think you'll see is probably the tapering off of the the touring the hybrid boot and i believe you're going to see people with more specialized touring product and what was the the hybrid boot is going to go down into the what i call the mid boot where you 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 don't need a ladies 80 flex with tech inserts you know we tried mm -hmm. that and, and remember as we go down in flex the numbers quadruple so a 90 flex boot there you know that sells 10 to 1 over 100 or 130 flex boot so what he's talking about is a very specialized product and yeah. you got to remember that is not necessarily a big pull for the industry because the guy you're talking about is a pro and pros notoriously yeah. don't pay retail for product. So mm -hmm. companies will make it for them, but not, there's not a big pull for it. Yeah. So yeah. hate to go against it. And, and I guess, no, no, no. I mean, what I think is that I think I, if again, to keep it to $10,000, I always like adding that because it's like, that's, that's enough. You don't want to be wrong, right? You don't want to get this wrong. And I, I don't think there will be this proliferation of Alpine boots, no walk mode, but they're coming with tech inserts. Right. But you can still use those tech adapters with boots that have tech inserts, but also a walk mode. Right. Right. So an Atomic Hawks. Boa, a Technica Kochi's boots like that, that product still works. And that's what, that's what I think the people who are picking up that niche product, like a tech mm -hmm. adapter, they're going to, the majority are going to have, they're either, yeah, I mean, they're going to have walk modes um, on those yeah. boots. So that's what I predict. And by the way, here's a fun one for me and you. Let's set this at a, all right, well, I guess I'll stay true to, True to it. I just got done talking about the $10,000 bet. You said a few minutes ago that you kind of think that we're always going to return to, I think, to quote you correctly, conventional buckles. So. Conventional boot. Yeah. Wait, conventional boot or conventional buckles? Conventional because I want to take it to the book. Okay. It, to the Up to question. this point. Okay. The, well, we can get in up to this point. We've tried everything else. We've tried ratchets. We've tried cables. Yeah. Everybody forgets yes. cables have been done on boots agnosium. Um, the the rear entries were all cables that wrapped around your foot. The um, the original Reikleys, which are now the K2 boots, um, those are cables. So there's an, a cable adjunct to that. Um, yeah. what I was saying is it always comes back to a conventional boot, you know, where the pivot point is at the ankle, you get into mm -hmm. it like you would get into your shoes. And that is important for a ski boot, you know, to have forward lean and have support. Yeah. 
Okay. Boa okay. is Clarified another question. Your statement. Yeah. Boa. Yeah, this is this is our t- this is our ten thousand okay. dollar bet. So let's say five years from now. Okay. Do you you got to place your bet your ten grand? Boa will have had its moment in the sun in you know twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. We will see this tapering off and going back to a land of more conventional buckles or boa will still be i think i just want to put it as boa will still be or boa like systems dial systems will those still be going strong five years from now five years from now you will see cable systems that are connected to a buckle at the lower price points the boa mechanism adds a significant cost to a boot so once again we're talking price so a boa boot is correspondingly going to be fifty dollars or a hundred dollars higher than the very same buckle boot right and boa is just the mechanism that makes it happen and i I think it's great i want to see how it happens but you know like anything give it time you know it just adds too much cost to it. So when we're talking mass market, we're talking 500, 400, $300 boots. You can't yeah. add, you know, $50 to those, you know, they're coming in for high schoolers and that kind of stuff where you're not going to see it. You will see cable because it wraps very well. Cable bends around it. But so I can't give you an answer on the cable system or the BOA system. The BOA system. And remember, this is the first reiteration. They may yep. come out with a cheaper version. There will yep. be a dual zone BOA two years from now, just because it makes sense. You need two buckles up front. And but then you're adding, you know, another hundred or 150 bucks yep. onto a boot. So I think you will see it, but I think there's a lot of companies that I've seen uh drawings of that there are other ways to do the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Try Um, to find other solutions in large part to bring the cost down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so. And I, I, so it's, I don't think you and I have a, I don't think we're on the opposite sides of this. So unfortunately we might not be able to make our $10,000 bet because I'm strongly on the side that in five years, this you know, I don't. I don't want to get hung up for me at least on the is it going to be boa branded, boa specific, versus a very similar type mm-hmm. of system. What my prediction is that will absolutely be a thing five years from now. I don't think we'll be like, well, that remember that weird experiment. We're just all back to conventional four buckle boots. But nor am I willing to say that this will now have completely moved into the mainstream. You know that that five hundred dollar, four hundred dollar price point. I'm not willing to wager on that either. But on the high end stuff, it's not going away. That's there, my. That's what I believe. I say give it time because we haven't had a season where I've had to repair it. You know, I, I'll tell you in February uh, how that prediction is because it all comes back to guys in the shop that have to repair it. It's the price point up front. And then it's the repair, right. the durability element, the repair element, right? Those two things. Boa in snowboard boots is superior to laces, just is, you know. But mm. when somebody comes into our store, because inevitably they always cut through the cable, that's how you rest a snowboard. By the way, you're going to need uh, wrist braces for your snowboard experience. Otherwise, you're going to have sure. two broken arms. I know. I'm I'm 100% going the wrist braces. Yeah. My staff runs away cuz to to fix a boa can take a half an hour to an hour of tedious work of putting the cable mm-hmm. through, getting getting the cables and that kind of stuff. And if there are guys out there in ski shops that have ever fixed a boa, you know, and they're listening to this, I'm sure they can empathize. The new boa is bigger, it's different. But give it time. Yeah. Let's give it time. Let's mm-hmm. let's see. You know, I wouldn't go changing every mold in every factory to only do BOA, right? And you got to remember, BOA also, for women in size 25 and smaller, that BOA 
dial is huge on a ski boot. And women buy boots differently than men. It's not the look on the side of the wall. It's when they look down. And if they see a big hockey puck glued to the side of it, then you're a 23.5. And it looks like, you know, if you've got a growth coming out, we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll give it time. Mm-hmm. Give it time. Nobody's, nobody. So wait. A whole year. Do we, do we have a bet here or not? Okay, here's the thing. You got to get Manzer to pay for this one way or another. So, what's the bet? <laughs> Wait, I don't know. I don't know how we get Manzer to be on the hook for this. I thought this was just me or you. I've been very clear. <laughs> um, I I've put my. You're trying to punt down the road. Like, yeah, oh, I, I need more time. I'm. I want to see how how it goes through a crash. You know, I want to see how it, how easy it is to snap back on. I know what I've been told, and I know it fits really well. I do think cables make a superior wrap. In fact, I built a boot and gave it to Manzer a couple of years ago with two cables and, and a buckle system. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's you know just my brain going. I think cables make a superior wrap. I don't know that you won't see other systems that aren't BOA, so I'm not quite sure what the bet is. Well, I'm not. It's not BOA specific. Okay. It is. Will we see BOA or BOA-like systems? Yes. It still will occupying a prominent. Okay. And the, right. but there yeah, still will, a long time. There still will be the buckle contingent because buckles don't yes. break. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. We talked, you've talked a little bit about, you mentioned 80 flex boots, Mm -hmm. 90 flex boots. Um, In a recent Gear 30 conversation that I had with the guys at Boone Mountain Sports, they were, I think this surprised some people in the industry. I heard from a number of people in the industry that, you know, where they were saying, look, they only carry a few 90 flex ski boot models in their shop the claim was that they just thought that a number of those 90 flex boots don't provide enough support uh even at the beginner level you know to to get people into sort of a proper ski experience at least how they define that you have thoughts on this and i i was interested in just what i like to do in life in general i thought those guys articulated their point of view really well I think it's also fair to bring in a counterpoint. And I think you do have a bit of a counterpoint to this, no? Yeah, I mean, and their podcast was great, by the way. I really enjoyed it. Um, the thing is, is coming from a racing background that they were in, and I was always in as well, and I found myself early in my career falling into it. And I'm like, well, oh, that's not a ski boot. This is a ski boot. Or that's not a ski. This is a ski. And you have to understand, it worked 90% of the market is 110 and below right I, I liken it to i play hockey i play in this geriatric league hockey old 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 guy <laughs> hockey right i could not skate an nhl skate right it's too stiff i can't you know i could afford the 900 one but i don't need the 900 one a ski mm-hmm. boot is for comfort and when we say flex we're only talking forward flex it transmits energy to the snow and back. For a beginning skier, a 110, a 120 flex is too much feedback, right? Uh, it's also unrealistic that everybody has to buy a six, $700 boot, okay? If I have a high school kid that's coming in and he's going five days um, with his family and two high school trips, you know, he doesn't need a 110. He needs something that's comfortable that he can maneuver in. And, you know, just to get back to the whole racing thing, I think most people are over flexed. The boots are too stiff. I, I, my hobby is, is ski coaching, right? I, you know, today I'm going to go fix some, some race boots and stuff. Too often, these kids can't get forward in the boots. You know, high school kids, it's not a natural position to drive the boot. So it's not, it's it, how you perceive the market is a biased, right? You got to understand there are people out there that that product is made for that that product works really well, really well. 
Um, it's designed for that. It's not just the Ford Flex. That product is is really good product. And and I test those boots. I will go skiing in a 90 Flex boot. I will go out and try a bucket of love ski boot, you know, 104 last, a big bucket. Um, I will try the mid boots. But when I go skiing, I'm grabbing the club sport like you have, um, the the 130 Ultra, the speed machine. You know, I even have a pair of World Cup 150s, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a whole different deal. Yeah. The 80 Flex boot is for someone, right? And and, and the, they can flex it. They can get forward into it. The energy feedback is tapered right to them. And as well as the price, the price also is, is, is designed for them. You know, our bias as buyers and skiers, we do this professionally. You know, you got to go out. There's some really good product out there in the lower flexes. I mean, like I said, I've, I've just saw a new walk ski boot that is coming out next year and it comes all the way down to an 80 flex. Well, that 80 flex is a specific product or a specific person comfort if if you were ski boot czar of the world (laughs) i thought i was all right Uh, okay if we made it official official that you were the ski boot czar of the world would you we we talked about this with riley and logan and that Mm -hmm. boone mountain sports conversation but would you like to just mandate from here to fourth or here to forward or however one does that um that we got away from the pricing of boots based on flex no no i mean i don't see then what's the right price you know um i had this conversation with a snowboard guy one time he's like i don't know why we would make a 300 dollars board these shouldn't be on a 300 dollars board and i'm like I don't know if you know what high school is, but these kids can't afford, uh, you know, yeah. your six hundred dollar board. The 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 flex rating, as flawed as it is, is awesome because before that they just make stuff up. This is the one, two, three, four, five, six. This is more, you know, plus that kind of stuff. I do think that there should be some softer boots with better liners. That would be that would be good. Um, you think there's a market for that? I, I had a customer come in, and you know she was just miserable, and she, you know she wanted a boot, and I fit her in a boot. And the next day, her husband came back and ripped me up one side and down the other side, going, "I I make a lot of money. I I can I can afford a better product than what you sold her." And I'm like, "She can't ski a better product." You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people go out to big ski resorts, walk into a specialty boot store and come home with a ski boot. They cannot flex. You know, if you can't get the boot to distend in a room when it's 80 degrees, you certainly can't get it to flex when it's out there. Uh, I see people more inhibited by stiffer boots than I see them. Softer. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's soft, then we'll figure something out. But you know, I hate to take a 110 boot and cut it because they just don't flex correctly after you cut a boot or a 130 and back it down. Um, you know, my wife came to me this year and she's like, I need a softer boot. And she gets the best there is. Yeah. So what'd you do? So I'm going to get her uh, a 95 flex boot. You know, rather than cut the boot she has, rather than pull a rivet, you're going to just go to a new boot. Yeah. So what do you do for somebody who's like, I think this is too soft and they can't afford to buy it. You said there's, you'd rather take a boot that's too soft. What do you do? So you can, you can rivet a boot. You can rivet a boot and get uh, some stiffness out of it. You can put a booster strap on. You can get a little bit stiffer. Usually you can't increase a boot more than 10% um with a liner or stuff like that um if you look at like the atomic line the the 130 um ultra and the 130 uh professional with the mimic the liner the shell's the same the liner makes the stiffness so you can do a couple of things it's it's very difficult to make a boot stiffer um except if you're in a racing boot you know racing kids i will do that a lot 
You just said, though, you'd rather take a boot that's too soft and make that stiffer than take a boot that's too stiff and soften it up. I find there are people in too stiff a boots too much. Okay, when you get to the 120 and 130, some of that is yeah. ego buying, right? I would mm-hmm. rather say, come back in, I'll swap it out for something else. You know, for, for us, our boot fitting, we guarantee you'll like the boot, you know, go three, four, five mm-hmm. times, whatever. I'd rather take the boot back than cut it or do that kind of stuff. Okay. With ski boots, you can take out the bolts and see if they like it. It's much easier to do that. Um, when you get into racing products, sorry, I segued on you. When you get into racing product, that boot's already dialed in. So now I have to really, it's not like taking another boot off the wall. It's already been centered and balanced. Yeah. And so I have to drop a rivet or something to get through the season. You know? Yeah. Okay. Sorry to confuse you. Well, and I just think I, for people listening to this, I want them to just be clear. And it sounds, I mean, and so if I can clarify in this moment, yeah. uh, you know, so final answer on this, you as a boot fitter would rather have someone have a boot that is too soft and they're asking you to mod that boot to make it stiffer, or you'd rather have a person come in with a boot st- that's too stiff and you have to mod that boot to make it softer. You have a clear preference here? Okay. So I have a clear preference depending on the customer. So, and, and when I say boot fitter, there are some stores that only do boots. I'm lucky that I do skis as well. When somebody comes in and says, I'm crushing this boot, it is easy because they've identified the boot. When they have boots that are too stiff, the problem sometimes gets kicked onto the ski. I don't know what's going on they can't get pressure. So from diagnosing the problem, it's much easier for a softer boot. I mean, both are horrible for a customer. You want to be in the Goldilocks Uh zone, right? You want your equipment to work with you. But as a boot fitter, to fix a boot, I can do a little bit with a softer boot. More often than not, I can drop a rivet in, um, sometimes work with the liner. But diagnosing that problem is easier when somebody says, I'm crushing the boot. I'm all over the place. Yeah, I see. Diagnosing the problem yeah. is easier yeah. with a softer boot. Yeah. 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 I, I can't tell you what I'm going to do because I don't know what product's in front of me. I mean, it could be, yeah. you know, a, a, a cab design. You know, it, it, there are a yeah. thousand variables. I'm talking about looking at the problem and, and diagnosing it. So my mistake. Diagnosing. Gotcha. But, but. Once you are clear, yeah, yeah, this it once if and however you arrived at the point where you're like, yeah, it just seems like I'm quite confident this boot is too stiff for you. You at that point, if you have correctly diagnosed the issue, you actually like or you don't mind going to the traditional moves of like cutting out a portion of the shell yeah. to fl- to soften up the boot that way. I mean, in that, my whole life, I've heard that, like, that's the preferred option, not pulling rivets, but cutting shells to let that boot flex a bit easier. You like that solution, or you think that that solution does, in fact, when done well, that actually is a decent solution? It's a decent solution when done well. I mean, I've seen cuts that are horrible. Um, You know, it has to be feathered out. You have to go to somebody that's done it before. Uh, and it also depends on the boot. You know, some boots are easy. You pull the rivets and I'm going to have you go out, ski, see if you like it. Then I may put the rivets back in and cut the boot, but you don't, you don't just go, it's too stiff. I'm cutting your boot. You're never going to destroy a product like that. You, there are phases that you will test mm-hmm. to get to your final mm-hmm. solution. You know, anybody gotcha. that's cutting yeah. a boot going, Hey, I know what you need, you know, walk out say let's test some things let's see if this works i think this is what's happening let's try do you know what i mean it's yeah a a a boot fitting a boot fitting experience is a marriage of i don't want to destroy your equipment i want to get you into the right thing but let's find out what the right thing is first you know you work together yep 
I've kept you for a long time this morning, not in this particular recorded conversation, but that I because I was peppering you with questions for something like an hour and a half before we started this. Yeah. So I want to let you go. I know you've got boots to fit. Um, this is what we're going to do. We were going to have a more focused conversation about racing boots yep. and working yeah, yeah. on those, uh, defining some terms around those, talking about some myths. Let's save that conversation for another time. And we have some other topics that we were going to get to. We're going we're gonna to yeah, save yeah. that. You you will be back on Gear 30 in order to not have taken up your entire Sunday. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on at Willie's these days. Uh, I know I mentioned it briefly. We had a little bit of a fire at one of our stores, which... Uh, <laughs> a little bit of a, a fire. A little bit of a fire. Uh, car caught on fire on the way home, pulled in our parking lot. Um, car eventually exploded and caught the building on fire, which basically skunked the entire inside of the store. So, um, with losing one store for the foreseeable future, this year we went out and we got some tents, um, uh, wedding tents. We did in the park movies. Uh, so the Solomon QST tour we had here, we had the line movie tour. So we did a lot of extraneous events where we tried to you know, just bring your lawn chair. I've got the food, the popcorn, the entertainment. So there's no pricing, that kind of stuff. And we always try and do these things, you know, keep the culture of the store going, keep the fun atmosphere and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So pretty much business as usual, except, you know, movies in the Mm -hmm. parking lot at the ski shop this year. So fun stuff, fun stuff. I should ask, how is the ski season going? In so, your neck of the woods. Well, we're a little bit different right now than everybody. We're still just waiting for snow, but because we're down a store, we are we are two capacity. We've managed we've moved all the managers out of their offices because we don't have enough ski storage. So we all the pickup wow. skis that we have, we've got basically two stores in one, two staffs in one. The season we are hoping for snow tonight. It is what um uh, it's Sunday night, so we're expecting a little bit of a storm, and our area is going to open mm. next Friday is what we're looking at, and we're looking for a pretty solid ski season. Um, the East Coast, when we get a medium El Nino like we have, we go whipsaw, 60 degrees yesterday, 30 tomorrow in snow. So wow, we're, we're yeah. all over the place, but we're expecting a solid year. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Last question. Okay. We have our, you know, crashes and close calls segment. And you introduced me to a new term uh, that I would love. I don't know if, am I the only one who doesn't know this? But I guess we're about to find out. Uh, Tell me your egg beater story. So I'm famous for taking one, what I call egg beater every year. And an egg beater is something you got to crack an egg to make an omelet. So it's one of those ones where you get up and, and you really scrambled your eggs. Um, so I'm famous when I go out and I ski or test product, I'll go to one slope and I just love it. But I also will close my eyes in the middle of a lot of these turns because I want to feel the ski. I want to feel it coming in. I get really technical, right? And so I was skiing coming over this knoll and all of a sudden, and, and, the way I load a ski really pops at the end of the turn. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my skis in the air. My, my feet are over my head, and I have not yet hit ground. And I just pile drive and just yard sale everywhere. And I'm like, that was interesting. What happened? I have no idea, right? Pick myself up. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try that again. But I, you know, I don't know if, you know, if I did something wrong, buckle caught in the snow, what, what put me upside down? Literally, next run, very, very same knoll, very same uh, right footer turn. I'm looking at my skis going, going, and you know when time slows and you go, well, this is stupid. And I literally, yeah. I've never ridden a sled, but it was probably the closest, closest thing. It was, it was a real egg beater where I'm like, and I still to this day don't know what happened. 
And I, it was, was on my was favorite. Was this last season? Last season, my favorite pair of skis, my favorite pair of skis. And I'm just, just cruising along. And all of a sudden, I'm upside down twice. So wait a second. Were you both times skiing with your eyes closed? Yeah, when I'm trying to feel the turn. You know, I, I, it, 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 it sounds stupid, but it's a, a yeah. specific part of a hill where I know that they're, the, it's groomed nicely. I can, I can get a turn. And I wasn't skiing, just in the middle of the turn. It's not like the transition. There's somebody skis in front of me and I kill them because I was braille skiing. Uh, but in the middle of the turn, I'll, feel, I'll close my eyes to feel how the turn comes around because you can feel this shovel, the, the, the forefoot of the ski, the binding engage, and the weight transfer, right? And both times I open my eyes and I'm looking at the sky and going, something's wrong. And the last time was probably the closest I've ever come to asking for a sled. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I, and, you know, and, we have famous, we have famously had Hoji on gear 30, <laughs> you know, extolling the virtues of skiing with your boots completely unbuckled. But we've never had anybody come on to be like, yeah, I just closed my eyes while skiing. That's how you really feel of ski. <laughs> also, I don't know how much we ought to believe you when you're like, I'm certain I didn't run over a four-year-old. <laughs> like, you wouldn't know. I, that's really the best explanation. I, I go to the specific slope. And, and there's nobody in front of me. I, I've got a whole routine, <laughs> left, right, three quick turns left, three medium turns left and right. I've got a whole routine. There's one knoll that I just love. My right footer is a little bit stronger of a turn. I love to put a mm -hmm. crank or a big fat carve on the top of that thing. And two times in a row. And it's, you know, the stupidity of going, why did I do that again? I'm looking at my skis. Uh, I'm looking at the sky. I needed this a new home. Let a... me put it to you this way. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is a hell of a way to end this conversation. You introduced me to egg beaters and skiing with your eyes closed. So, I, Greg, I really can't thank you enough for either of those things. Don't and, forget um, uh, and shop I... chickens. Shop chickens. Shop chicken. Well, I, I want to, I don't know. <laughs> I really want to standardize shop pizzas. So yeah, shout out for the, I guess the, the, the shop chicken spin yeah. on the shop pizza. But really I'm, I'm, I want to really just, uh, I want to learn about, you know, gear 30 listeners, uh, sending those shop pizzas around all over the place. So, um, that'll be great. If that, by the way, if that happens, Send in your photos. We will post those. We will post those. But um, you know, this is the perfect time of year. We're coming into the holidays. Let's all um, let's all let's all get some pizzas to our our yeah. local shops. For all and, those uh, out there that are listening that have a favorite local shop, you will make history. Go in. It's a couple of ten twenty bucks. They will love you. It is. It is the best thing in the world when customer brings it in and you're just cranking on a Saturday. I love this. Yeah. And and do it. We will send us your pictures of this. We will post all of them. So if we get like a thousand, the blister, <laughs> you know, Instagram stories is going to be 1000 photos of, uh, of, of shop pizza deliveries. So nothing would make me happier. And uh, yeah. So yeah, we've got shop pizza initiative going. We've got ski with your eyes closed now, apparently, which, by the way, <laughs> if you are going to be doing that, 100%, please get yourself Blister Plus first. Um, that would be wise. And um, thank you for introducing me to the notion of the egg beater uh, crash. <laughs> so, yeah, we got a lot, of, lot of, a lot of work done in this conversation, Greg. All right. All right. <laughs> Jonathan, as always, thank you so much for having me. Oh, this has been great, Greg. And I look forward to our next one where, among other things, we will definitely zero in on the whole race boot conversation. And I'm, I'm sure people will be stoked on that one, too. So thank you, Greg. Very cool. Very cool. Have a great season. You too. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Greg for another great conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. 
And thanks so much to you for listening. And I should do our now standard countdown. Uh, The last time I checked yesterday, I believe we are now 29 Gear 30 podcast reviews before I go get on a snowboard. We just have 29 to go. So I think we are probably going to have about 9,000 to 11,000 people listen to this episode. So if you are one of the, let's say, 10,000 people that have yet to leave a review, I mean, I only have one broken arm now, not two. What are you doing to contribute to the double broken arm? It seems to me like you're not doing anything. So stop letting down your fellow Gear 30 listeners. Let's get these arms or wrists broken. Why am I encouraging you on this front? I think it's probably because I only slept like two hours last night. But anyway, uh, if you like the show, leave a rating or review. 29 reviews out. I go get on a snowboard. We videotape it. You get to see me and J-Bob ride together. It'll be glorious in some sense. And I'm going to try not to cry. Anyway, thanks, everybody. You all are the best. I hope you have a terrific weekend. And we will talk to you, let's see, Monday over on our Blister podcast, where we're talking with the one and only Angel Collinson. Man, we got a lot of fun stuff going on these days. All right, everybody. We'll catch you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.